Great to be back with you on the Trojan Talk podcast. I'm Ryan Young, publisher of Trojansports.com, and it is USC spring practice. The Trojans start Tuesday, first of 15 sessions over the next five weeks, which means they are back. We are back. So much to discuss that we couldn't even do it with just one guest. We had to have two guests. So that's what we have for you. We have two guests today. First up on the show will be my familiar co-host, the former USC quarterback, OurTrojanSports.com analyst for the last, what, four years now? Max Brown. Always good to chop it up with Max about USC football. It had been a while since we had done the show together, so fun to have him back on. And uh, we went deep on his thoughts on Caleb Williams, quarterback on quarterback, maximizing Max's expertise there. And then we turn it over to Antonio Morales of The Athletic, my good friend, the great beat reporter for The Athletic. And Antonio and I covered all the bases. He and I are always talking USC football over text, uh, in person, after practice, before practice, etc., so it's nothing new for us to debate and discuss and maybe disagree here and there. He has a great perspective, and it was fun to have him on. And, uh, yeah, that's our show. I do want to let everyone know, though, that it's promo time. I To rivals, I said, listen, USC starting spring practice. There's excitement. There's buzz. Like, there hasn't been in years for this program. Let's throw a promo out there. Let's get some people involved. Get some new folks on the board, on the site, seeing what we're doing. So we are offering from now to April 1st. That's the window. If you sign up in that window, we are giving you 50% off an annual subscription. So sign up before April 1st. Get half off the entire year. Use the promo code RileyERA. RileyERA because this is the start of the Lincoln-Riley era. And that's all you got to do. There's a banner on top of the homepage, or you can just use the promo code RileyERA at sign up, get 50% off an annual subscription. We'd love to have you join what we're doing. It's going to be fun. We're going to have a wave of coverage every single day. It's already started. It's going to continue. We got the whole Trojan Sports team fired up and ready to go. And on that note, I'm fired up and ready to go for this podcast. Let's do it. All right, without further ado, let's bring him back. You know him well, our Trojansports.com analyst, the former USC quarterback, Max Brown. Max, good to have you back. Always great to be back. Here we go. Here we are from the, on the start of a, another new season. Yeah, but we were just talking off the air about how long it's been since we've talked USC football, you and I, uh, so we have a lot to catch up on. Uh, obviously, I want to get your thoughts on Caleb Williams because we have not done a podcast, you and I, since – he arrived. He's the big storyline. Will be the storyline all year. But before we get into that, let me just start generally. Spring football starts Tuesday for USC football. I, we're not going to see a ton. It's it's closed off to spectators. Media gets to watch the stretching and individual periods, and then we're going to be ushered out. So I don't know that we'll get all the answers from this. Maybe until the spring game, and we can see you know see things in action, but what are you most excited for, most intrigued by, most curious about overall entering spring? Yeah, I think you get some some facts answered a little bit. I think uh, so far, ever since Lincoln Rally was uh, 
was hired, it's been all it's been all hype and buzz and excitement and optimism, rightfully so. But then now you're gonna maybe we'll, we'll at least get a sense of, of how things are gonna play out, how some of these position groups are gonna play out. What's the identity? Uh, of this team, and obviously, don't, don't get me wrong. A lot of that will be developed, you know, into into fall camp in those first couple of weeks. But you'll get a sense for all right, what does a new program look like? I mean, for so long we've been used to the Clay Helton ways, the Dante uh, Williams ways to a smaller extent. Well, now it's a new regime. What does that look like? What does that feel like? Um, what's the overall sentiment at practice? I think you're 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 finally able to truly move the page and then see actual data, um, which will be, which will be exciting for me personally, as a, as a former QB, I'm excited to see what Caleb Williams does in terms of his growth, in terms of his leadership, taking the reins of this program. And, uh, I think a lot of the, uh, intangible aspects of both coach Riley, the program, the transfers, all of that, seeing those come to light, uh, in spring will be, uh, will be fun to watch. Yeah. It's why I wish we had, the ability to watch a full practice here or there, because I would love to see if there's a tangibly different intensity and energy level. And we talked about it, and I know I've talked about it with other reporters, that it was it became a running joke every day last year after practice, whether it was Clay Helton uh, when he was there or, or Dante when he took over. We always heard, man, the guys were flying around today. And, and us reporters would be like, were they? <laughs> because I didn't, didn't quite see it. Uh, well, that's the thing, too, is obviously, yes, all of us media members, we want to see practice and whatnot. But I think from the first practice, we'll, we'll notice a difference, right? I mean, Lincoln, that was the problem with, with Clay, right? Is often The sun was always shining. It felt like with a lot of his, his media interviews. I have a feeling that won't be the case with Lincoln. That won't be the case with every position group. You'll get days where it's, hey, our secondary sucked and we need to get better. It's not going to always be, you know, we're, 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 uh, we're, right, we're right around the corner type of thing. And that'll be refreshing. And it also give us insight because guys like yourself always uh, always find the, the, the hole, or the, not the holes, but the, the lanes of who's popping, who's got the buzz, which groups might be struggling a little bit. I still think we'll uh, we'll find that out from, from practice to practice. No, it's a great point because Lincoln Riley doesn't have to sell things. He, he doesn't have to sell optimism. The optimism came with him. It, it came like a wave the minute he arrived. So that's a great point. I do think he'll be more real, more down the middle what he tells us more matter of fact so we will learn that we get to talk to all these new transfers for the first time since they got here you know 13 transfers and many of them are going to are who are going to play a major role in this team we haven't talked to them yet so even though we're not seeing a full practice we there's plenty to learn and glean and take away from the next five weeks so I, i'm excited i'm fired up but as i tease at the top it all starts with Caleb Williams. He was the offseason storyline. He's the guy that was on Good Morning America. Uh, he's the guy with the massive Beats NIL deal that's passing out Beats headphones to other student-athletes around campus. He is the star of this team, even though he's only played one year in college and has not played a game here. He is the face of this program outside of Lincoln Riley. Max, quarterback to quarterback, I know you've had some time to digest this and, and take a look at Caleb a little closer. Break it down for the fans. Why is he this big of a deal? Ryan, he's this big of a deal because he's everything you want in a college football quarterback. He's got the mobility to make any defensive coordinator, one, account for his legs, but two, fear his legs, both when he's dropping back as a pocket passer and escapes the pocket, but then also the quarterback design runs. Uh, it's been a very long time, even with Sam Darnold, 
it's been a very long time since USC had a true dual threat quarterback. Yes, you had, you had Jackson Dart, but Caleb Williams is going to give USC fans something new in terms of, hey, we are we are calling designed quarterback runs on a consistent basis. That, that's an element that Caleb has um, that's really exciting at the college football level. But then when you look forward to the, towards the NFL level and why nationally he has so much buzz and excitement is – this is a this is a throw first quarterback. When he steps up in the pocket, even if he has lanes to break through and, and make guys miss, he wants to throw the ball, which is what's so exciting for guys like myself that are X's and O's junkies, which is why, you know, Lincoln Riley. I mean, think about it from Lincoln Riley's point of view. He's recruited at Oklahoma. He's had, you know, a couple Heisman Trophy winners, a finalist to, to also join that realm. He can pick anyone he wants across the country and his guy was uh, was Caleb Williams. That says a lot. It says a lot about the belief there. And so he's got everything you want. And I think also, I don't, I've never talked to Caleb, but from in a, in a media perspective, from a former quarter, uh, quarterback's perspective, he seems very poised, very confident, not a, not a ton of, uh, you know, flash per se, not to say he's, uh, you know, doesn't got the little swagger a little bit, but he seems very poised. I think it's a big reason why he had the performance against Texas last year that kind of caught the world on fire. And that poised, I think, positions, positions him well, especially as a guy that has so much um, expectations. One thing I think we got to remember is he's only a true sophomore. I mean, I, I was talking about that with uh, guys in the program right now. Oh, how's Caleb's leadership and all that? And it's good, but he's still only a true sophomore. Like, I don't care how many reps you've played or how many – um, accolades you have from one year of football and still a young guy in that locker room so it'll be interesting to see how he shoulders the expectations of a fan base that's been uh, that's uh, that, that needs some winning in their life yeah you, you mentioned his personality and I'm looking forward to getting to know that a little bit better I don't really have any sense for it at this point I've just I've seen a couple interviews he's done and and they're pretty you know, straightforward but one of the interesting takeaways when we talked to the assistant coaches in uh, February, and we, of course, asked about Caleb Williams, uh, especially to the Oklahoma coaches who had come over here. And I think it was Dennis Simmons who said he has that it quality and is one of those guys that everyone wants to play hard for, wants to work hard for. He's, he's the guy that can actually get his teammates fired up in you know, early November on, on a midweek practice when it's been a long season at that point. He just has this buoyant energy to him. Um, and again, we're talking we're talking intangibles. We're we're talking off season um, hype where everything's positive. We got to see that manifest. But but that was encouraging to hear, and it'll be interesting to see how his teammates take to him, given all the attention he's gotten, and and given the fact that he has these uh, lucrative nil deals. And and not to get a sidetrack, I want to go back to his skill set in his game. But since I'm on it, Max uh, on a college team, do you think that causes any issue? where the quarterbacks bring in presumably, you know, seven figures for NIL deals and the offensive linemen like Brett Nealon are, are, are getting their, their, their cost of living stipends. It's kind of refreshing hearing you ask that because that was the big concern with NIL, call it three years ago, right? Is, oh, how is it going to be in the locker room when one guy gets paid millions and the other guy doesn't get a dollar? And it feels like we don't hear about that often. So it's, it's that, that question's refreshing. And the answer is it's totally how the guy handles it, right? I mean, I, I remember being around – um, Darnold when he had his Rose Bowl buzz and whatnot, and every guy in that locker room loves Sam, still loves Sam because he had all those accolades and, and was still the same dude, was still the same Sam that they met when he was coming out of San Clemente, and so it can work to your advantage, right? If you're 
Caleb Williams and you're getting paid all this all this money and getting all these new headphones and whatnot, you're still the homie off the field, then guys will fall even more in love with you. It can work, obviously, the opposite way if you become arrogant and whatnot. So a lot of that has to do with Caleb Williams. And I echo what you said in terms about all, all the positive feedback coming out of the, the USC locker room in terms of who he is, his mental makeup, and things of that nature. It feels like it's uh, all pointing in the right direction. Going back to him on the field, you mentioned his poise, and that has shown up through his football career to this point. But he kind of gained that Superman moniker nickname in high school uh, back in Washington, D.C. In one of the biggest games of his high school career, I think it might have been the championship game, it's a shootout back and forth in the final minutes, and he throws a Hail Mary to win it in the last few seconds as the story goes. He was thrust into his uh, – he had played earlier in the season last year, but then he, he took over the job basically in the middle of that Texas game when they had fallen behind by several touchdowns. And he came in, and I think it was the first play, ran for just a, a super long touchdown and sparked a comeback. So he's shown that he's not intimidated by any stage. And certainly if he could do it at Oklahoma, uh, <clears throat> there's no reason to worry about him stepping in here with the spotlight. But – just going back through his games last year. So he took over October 9th as the starter, essentially. Came off the bench that day. It was a starter the rest of the way. Most games very efficient. Nice combination of passing and rushing. There were two games, though, back-to-back. I'm, I'm not pretending that you, you watched uh, these games in full. But I'm just curious your thought. Baylor, obviously a very good defense. And Iowa State, late in the season, both kind of shut him down. He was 9 of 18 for 142 against Baylor with 17 rushing yards and 8 of 18 for 87 yards and 67 rushing yards versus Iowa State, but was really taking off his game those two games. Is there any aspect of his player makeup that needs to improve that, that maybe was exploited by some of the better defenses last year? Yeah, it's a funny response to that because obviously you can always get better. Obviously there's areas for improvement, but for a true freshman quarterback to go out there, there's not a specific area of – oh, you can hang your hat on that as a talking point in the offseason of, oh, he needs to get better. The reality is he has all the arm strength you need. He has all the mobility you need. He throws with timing and accuracy. He throws a very catchable ball. The one thing that I'm interested in calling year two with Caleb Williams at USC is Oklahoma always had a running game, which made the passing game um, easier for quarterbacks as a result, right? Anytime you're able to do play action, that's something that Oklahoma made a living off of is, is that, that M.O., that's not something we've seen USC utilize very often under Graham Harrell in recent memory is that play-action mold. That will be a big part of USC's offense moving forward. And the question for me is, will USC be able to run the rock to the level that Oklahoma has in past? Because that will play a huge role in Caleb Williams' success. Do I think Caleb Williams can be a guy that drops back 50 times a game and outscores people? Yes, of course. But that might be, if that is the MO for the offense next year, that might you know, result in a drop of efficiency or uh, potentially more turnovers and things of that nature where you're not getting as clean a look. So for me, it's more schematically rather than Caleb Williams' skill set. I mean, all the buzz he's getting is justified in terms of, hey, potentially the, the face of college football the next couple of years. Hey, he's going to be the top quarterback um, coming off the board in a couple of years. But as a USC fan, we know the realities of that. We've heard that with, you know, quarterbacks in recent memory at USC and so if it doesn't happen, how, like, how will it not happen? To me, I focus on that run game. And if he's not in as favorable of a scheme and he's forced to, hey, strictly rely on operating from the pocket and not have a run game behind him, that's where things can get a little hairy for me uh, and the entire USC offense next year. 
No, it's a great point. I'm looking at his game log from last year, and he only had one game where he attempted more than 30 passes. And um, more than about half his starts, he attempted less than 25. So it, it definitely wasn't a, uh, a USC, Graham Harrell, let's chuck it all around the field kind of offense. That'll be interesting, too, because I mean, obviously you get, you get two new running backs coming in that are obviously really excited, or I guess three total with, uh, with Brown as well. But this is an offensive line where I'm intrigued to see the development that they can have because it's mainly guys that have been around the block. And so at that point, a part of me feels like, hey, you kind of are what you are a little bit. I know a new coach, new programs coming in, but will they be able to truly take that next step in the running game? That's I know that's a non-quarterback conversation there, but that's a big factor for me in terms of uh, how the USC offense will be because so many of the headlines right now are, oh, USC can just outscore people. They'll just outscore people. And I think I, I, I subscribe to that, but I'm also wary of the downfall that is, hey, that might mean you're throwing 50 times a game, which is not what this program wants to be long term, and it's not what you can be if you want to win, uh, if you want to beat Utah and you want to beat Oregon consistently. You got to have a more balanced attack. Yeah, I mean they did improve in in run blocking last year, and you you factor in that Bobby Haskins from UVA comes in at left tackle. You hope that Cortland Ford and Jonah Monheim and are more comfortable and improve in their third year in the program, and maybe Monheim's in a better suited position, possibly playing guard inside. Uh, so there, there's reason to think that the line can be better than it was last year. But uh, it's, it's a good point. Just to, to close the book on the stats for Caleb, for anyone that doesn't know off the top of their head, he finished with 1,912 passing yards, 21 touchdowns, four picks, and 442 rushing yards, six touchdowns. So certainly was a very efficient quarterback. Uh, not a lot of bad decisions in there. A lot to like, a lot to point to and understand why there is this buzz. But the buzz and the hype is is so, so much right now that there's talk about him as a Heisman candidate this year. How realistic do you think that is, Max, for, for Caleb Williams in his first season at USC with this new offense to be a true Heisman Trophy candidate? Yeah, it's always bizarre because I mean, feel like expectations of the quarterback position for USC every year are sky high. And then when you add it to with when you compound it with Caleb Williams, it's like off the charts and it's almost like un- unreasonable to, uh, to get to. But um, hey, I-, I see it in twofold. I-, I see a scenario where the 2022 season for USC is a we need to outscore opponents every single game type of mentality. And so Caleb puts up stupid yeah. numbers and he's in that conversation. I think there's real justification to that because I think this is a USC defense that's, that's going to be um, – above average, I'll call it. I don't think they'll be elite. I don't think they're at that level yet in year one. And so a lot of that's going to fall on Caleb Williams. But I also take a step back, and I, I don't want to be the, the negative Nancy in the room, but I'll be the uh, the realist. And that is the term sophomore slump exists in sports for a reason, in that sometimes that year one, the mentality for a quarterback can be, hey, you're playing with house money, or maybe the expectations aren't as high, right? He goes into a Texas game when they're, down four touchdowns, right? Can't really get worse than that. And maybe that's the kickstart that he had. Obviously, he's a tremendous player. But you talk about the offseason for Caleb Williams, that's an offseason full of distractions, right? With NIL deals, with transferring, with moving across the country, with uh, his, 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 his football life plan getting uprooted. Like, that's a lot to handle. Even if he is a great quarterback, even if he is a great kid, that can be tough to... Uh, Tough to tough to put your your mind around. I mean, look look as far as as Keaton Slovis in, in recent memory. 
did he have a bad second year? No, but it wasn't the second year that we had hoped for. And so I think those expectations, especially if, let's say, uh, SC doesn't get off to a rock star start right away, how does he handle those? I mean, he's still just a kid, still just growing. Um, I think big picture, he'll still be a fantastic college quarterback. He'll still be the top quarterback in the conference. But when you're talking Heisman, that's an extremely high bar. Um, if he wants to get to that level, I think some of those expectations talk, some of the, hey, maybe the roster's not where people hoped it would be this quickly. I think those are real conversations as well and something that obviously will be sorted out a little bit in spring ball and then obviously uh, in, in fall camp and uh, those first couple of weeks as well. Yeah, and, and he's got two cracks at it here, and uh, you would think that the offense would be even better in 2023 after a year of adjusting to the new system and everything and getting more of Lincoln Riley's players in here. But it, I think that as long as Lincoln Riley's here, the USC quarterback now, as it used to be, will always be in the Heisman talk because, like you mentioned earlier, he has produced two Heisman winners in Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray and a runner-up in Jalen Hurts. So that's about as impressive a track record as you'll find in college football. In fact, it's probably the most impressive in that department. So the, the hype is, is understandable. It's natural. It's going to be here every year. And, and maybe he does get there this year. Maybe he gets there next year. But fun storyline. Last thing on Caleb, I wonder. I wonder if with the lack of depth they have right now at quarterback, if he runs as much or if there's any thought to reining that in and not exposing him to hits. Because right now, at least for the spring, it's Miller Moss is the only other scholarship quarterback on the roster. Mo Hassan is dealing with a torn Achilles. Um, he has said he hopes to be back by the season or by fall camp. But that's a tough injury. I don't know how realistic that is. I don't know if they have plans to bring somebody else in. I'm sure they won't go into a season with only two scholarship quarterbacks. It'll work itself out some way. But is there any chance that Lincoln Riley feels the need to not expose Caleb Williams to the hits of running the ball? I think that's real. And I think that uh, you talk about a guy who needs a big spring. Maybe that's a Miller Moss uh point of the equation a little bit there to give Lincoln Riley that comfort that hey if he has to go to his backup that it's not the end of the world I mean when the reason Oklahoma had so many Heisman winners is because they had Heisman winners sitting on the dang bench uh, during his time and I'm sure in the back of his mind Lincoln Riley knew hey I have special talent there to your point great point maybe he's you know willing to call quarterback runs more often because if Baker gets hurt he can just go to Kyler if Spencer Rattler gets hurt you can just go to Caleb Williams might not be that luxury this year. I think there's definitely uh, some validity to what you're saying there. And uh, Miller Moss, need, need a big spring out of you. I mean, uh, uh, that huge jump that you see quarterbacks make, I think it happens the most in their third spring, but it definitely happens in your second spring as well. Maybe it happens for Miller Moss this year, and it gives Lincoln comfort that uh, he's got a very solid backup quarterback and he can do more quarterback runs with Williams. For a team that has boundless, limitless storylines, Miller Moss is definitely one on that list as well. Uh, I'm going to go back to NIL one more time because there was some news in the last week or so, uh, a report about a top high school quarterback prospect getting a $8 million in total NIL deal from one of these collectives that have popped up where each school has people raising money on their behalf for NIL opportunities for players. We've totally blurred the line of pay for play, which was not supposed to ever be a part of the NIL. But when you have no oversight from the NCAA, 
where they threw their hands in the air and told the schools to figure it out themselves, then this is where it was inevitably going to lead. It's been put out there who people think that quarterback in that school are. I'm not going to name the names. I've actually talked to that prospect and asked him directly, and he denied it was him. But, of course, what would you say otherwise? But just the concept itself of a high school junior right now, about to be a senior, having an $8 million NIL deal, if all those reports and details are true, could you have imagined that, Max, when you were, when you were that top guy in the country coming out in your recruiting class? No, of course not. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's crazy to me. I mean, I get the question now. I mean, it makes me feel like super old. I'm, I'm, I was 2013 recruiting class. So I guess I'm a decade removed, but I'm only, you know, 20, 27 years old. It's an entirely different world out there. I was the top quarterback recruit in the country. I never got offered a dollar, um, which that might have been uh, unique in its own right and maybe different if I didn't grow up in Seattle and I grew up in the in the southeast. I'm sure it would have been a different uh, different situation. But, yeah, the, the, the common argument I hear out there now is, hey, just give it a couple years and all these boosters that fronted those that those NIL deals or that money, and if they don't get their, you know, ROI, they're not going to keep investing that money year in and year out, yeah. year in and year out. That's one argument. I don't think I'm all the way there yet because I think there's enough schools with enough boosters that have money that, like, don't know what else to do with it and say, oh, I'll go pay high school kid type of thing. So I think that well could keep filling up um, potentially. But uh, it, it's real interesting. I think the factors that make it even more interesting is if it's a hometown recruit, right, and it's a, a, a recruit that has a connection to that alumni and, and things of that nature. But it's fascinating, and it's a market that really is the wild, wild west. And if you're the NCAA and you said, oh, we didn't think it was going to get to pay, pay for play, you're out of your mind because we all, we all knew it was going to head there, right? What's stopping these boosters from just making up contracts and making up ways to, to pay these players? It's not going to slow down anytime soon, but I do think the market will top out. $8 million seems ridiculous to me, but the, the two, three, four million million price tag, I feel like that's, that's, that's here to stay in the next five to ten years of, uh, of college football, and more importantly, college football recruiting. So, so go back to, to your senior year. You're making your college decision. Obviously, you want to go somewhere that you think is going to develop you the best uh, for a pro career, which is where the real money and, and lucrative payout is. But how much do you factor in the immediate potential to make money? So again, say we're talking about a top quarterback prospect who – if the reports and rumors and everything are, are true, is going to a school that maybe has not been near the top of college football in quite a while, uh, would definitely be a total surprise choice for him if there were not these uh, other factors being uh, reported into it. So that person, again, if this report is true, I'm not sure how many more caveats I can add, is obviously prioritized and understandably so the ability to, to maximize his upfront value, but maybe not going to a place that has produced a lot of quarterbacks of late. How would you weigh those two factors? Such a good question. Such a good question. Um, I would put significant weight on those, on those dollars. I mean, the reality is you're playing a game like football that is uh, uncertain because of the injury component. And then it's also uncertain just because, I mean, just look at the data. I mean, Look at myself, right? I was the top quarterback in the country, and I, I didn't have an NFL run. That's just the reality of what it is. If I played basketball and it was my same situation, I would be that, that'd be unheard of, right? Everyone, every top recruit in a basketball sense get, gets an NBA shot, at, at least a shot, yeah. if not 
if not a contract and something more baseball, something similar football. It's just a much, much more of a mixed bag. Um, and, and look at the data. So I think you have to put significant weight on the money. And I also think in my opinion, one of the most overblown, and it's going to be weird to say this through a USC lens, but one of the most overblown recruiting factors is as from a quarterback's perspective is go somewhere where you can get developed. And why I say that's overblown. Don't get me wrong. It still is a factor, but I remember when I was getting recruited by SC, they were saying, oh, that's like the number one factor, Max. you got to go to SC because they put out Leinart and Sanchez and Barkley and all these guys. But when you look at the actual results of the NFL draft, every single year the top guys come up from a different school, right? It's Pittsburgh. It's Wyoming. It's North Dakota State. It's Oklahoma. It might be USC. It's all over the, all over the map. If you can play football, they will find you. Sure, you got to go somewhere that can develop you, but I do think at times that point can be overstretched. So if I'm a recruit, I'm looking at the money because that's real dollars in the pocket, especially for guys that don't come from the best of uh, scenarios. And then obviously you got to couple that with, hey, will this school get me to the NFL? Will this will this school put me in a position to put up stats and, and develop? But they work hand in hand, but the money is real, especially in football where uh, there's so much uncertainty. Great points all the way through. I, I would definitely take the money personally. Uh, if I was in that situation, uh, also interesting is going to be to see how it sets the market again. If that report is true, how it sets the market of other prospects are now rethinking their decisions or if they're saying, why am I not getting this kind of money? What a time to be alive, as they say, Max, before before we part, I want to run through and we'll do this quickly. But uh, on Trojansports.com on Monday or actually on Sunday night, we posted our staff roundtable where myself and Jeff McCullough and Tajwar Kandakar went through eight storylines and, and gave our thoughts. Uh, so my thoughts are all on the site as well as the rest of the staff. But I'm, uh, quick hitters, Max, I'm going to go through these eight questions and just give me your, your quick answer. We don't have to go deep into all of them because we are short on time. But um, and in fact, I'll, well, the, the first one may overlap with how we started, but I'll ask it anyway. What do you most hope to learn about this team this spring? I most hope to learn who it's between two who the starting five offensive linemen are, but I think that's going to get dragged out into fall camp. I want to most learn who wide receiver number one is. I like it. Uh, for anyone who I'm strategically keeping them quick, but I just I'll, I can add some color with all the transfers. Uh, some of the skill sets overlap with some of the guys that are exciting, so I'm intrigued to see how those sort out. I'm intrigued to even see if there is a number one receiver. Maybe the answer is Max. We're not going to have that this year, but the receiver position is fascinating for me. Anyone who read the column knows that uh, I went deep on the receivers, and that that's the most intriguing group to me, so good answer. Number two, what's the most under-the-radar storyline that is not getting enough buzz this spring? Under-the-radar storyline, I would say... I would say the defensive line. I think if USC is going to be a championship Pac-12 South contender, it is all on the defensive line. Can you take a significant step forward? Um, I, when I read national polls, I think they get they pay attention to Corey Foreman, and then it becomes a talking point like, oh, USC, they're really close defensive line-wise. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think USC has to take a significant state, step, and uh, that, could be, that could very well be the difference between uh, 7-8 win team and a 10 win team. Good answer. Number three, and this might be the same answer, what's the biggest question this team needs to answer over the next five weeks? 
I'll mix it up a little bit. I'll go uh, linebacker. What's the state of the union of linebacker? Where are we at? I know we got it. We got a got a transfer. Got some new faces in there. But it feels like the past off season, Ryan, when me and you get together, we still have been talking about the linebacker room. Can they get back to where Cam Smith was? Obviously, Cam Smith was a was a heck of a player, but. I want some sort of direction there going into fall camp. It feels like we haven't had that in a little while. Yep, lots of eyes on Shane Lee uh, this spring and fall camp to see if he can be that guy. Speaking of which, which newcomer carries the most intrigue for you this spring? And there's only two freshmen who are early enrollees, and Damani Jackson is coming off knee surgery, so we're not sure if he's active. C.J. Williams is the other one. Then you have the 13 transfers. Which newcomer intrigues you the most? I mean, I'll, I'll – Caleb Williams would be 1A, um, right, right. but, but, but to, to, to mix it up, I'm fascinated with Brendan Rice. I think that was a huge get. I followed the Pac-12 and covered, obviously, top to bottom, and there were a lot of schools that really wanted Brendan Rice. That's a huge loss by Colorado, given his size and unique skill set relative to the other receivers on, the, on SC's roster, and not to mention his last name. Uh, Brendan Rice could be, could be, could be game-changing this season. Max, that was my answer. So we're on the same page. There we go, baby. We subscribe to the same, uh, same, same thought process. Um, number five, who has the most to prove to this new coaching staff? Most to prove. Um, I don't know if this is my answer, if I gave it in depth, but right when you ask that question, the guy that sticks out is Darwin Barlow. Um, you bring in two transfers, Jones um, and Die, both guys that are established, especially Die. Barlow's no slouch. He can make some plays. We saw that last year, especially in this offense with some of the receiving abilities that he has. If I'm Darwin Barlow, I got a chip on my shoulder ready to make something happen and carve out a role for myself in this offense. Absolutely. I, I, I believe he's going to have a role this season. I'm a huge believer in him, and, uh, but it has gotten more complicated with the transfers. Number six, what position battle is most compelling to you this spring? It's got to be receiver, and I'll double down on that. It, I mean, one, just because of how we're coming out of last year, right, where you had Drake London, and we were still waiting for that receiver to the entire season. And it never really kind of – it never really came to fruition. You, you had guys like Gary Bryant, Taj Washington you're excited about. But it's intriguing to me this year because I'm really high on uh, Terrell Bynum. Uh, I, cover, I called two of Washington's games last year. He was a big factor for them when he was in the offense versus out of the offense. He, you, you notice the difference in the explosiveness of that offense. Bynum, Williams, uh, even Gary Bryant to an extent, it's definitely Taj Washington. To me, at first glance, very comparable skill sets. How does that shake out when you talk about having to name starters, when you talk about having to have a rotation, who takes that next step? It's kind of the opposite of why I like Brendan Rice, because I think Brendan Rice will carve his own niche because of his size. The other guys, it's a little bit different. I'm, I'm fascinated to see how all those uh, – more speedsters play a role and who gets the starting role uh, come fall. We are on the same page. Number seven, what position group gives you the most confidence entering the spring? Most confidence? Uh, offensive line. Offensive line for sure. Um, I mean, I would say quarterback, Kevin Williams, but we've, we've, we've gone there before. Um, I just think when you look at the offensive line, you have guys that have played a lot of football. So that means the floor is only so low. You're bringing in a new staff, you're bringing in a new scheme, but you have guys that I, I know what I'm getting with that group. I might not know what I'm getting with Bobby Haskins per se, only because I haven't really seen him that much, but even he's a guy that's, that's been around the block, played a lot of football. When you have Milan, Voris, Ford, Monheim, Didich, Haskins, that's 
six guys walking into day one of spring ball where you already know they can play football at the offensive line, that's a great position to be in, especially when there's teams around the conference that are still trying to there's a lot of schools around the conference that are looking at their offensive line and they're not even sure who those top six guys are. The fact that SC already has that and hopefully they can add a seventh and eighth, um, that's a big, big head start for the for the offense. Most definitely. And lastly, what position group concerns you the most? I think you've given two potential answers there, but I'll let you take the floor here. Yeah, uh, defense line. Yeah. Uh, just the competitive depth there. Um just be basically see how things sort out there. And then obviously secondary-wise, having to replace a lot of guys. I think there's enough bodies and enough guys who have played where that's not going to be a issue, but that's more of uh, intriguing in the secondary rather rather than concerned. But front seven, uh, defensively for SC, big uh, – yeah, I'll say big, big concern for me in terms of uh, competing for championships. Great stuff, Max. Great to have you back on the show. Great to have USC football back in action. We'll be talking plenty in the near future, I'm sure. Good, good to be with you again. Awesome to be back. Hopefully, uh, first of many of this spring. Excited for uh, a productive spring ahead. Okay, next into the show, back on the show, always a popular guest on the Trojan Talk podcast, my good friend Antonio Morales of The Athletic. Antonio, how are you? Good, Ryan. How's, uh, how's everything been with you? And I've seen you busy on the uh, recruiting trail in Vegas and uh, everywhere else. Uh, so it's good to be back. Uh, how are things going with you? I, I think everywhere else sums it up. Yeah, I've been the last four weekends before this one, I was at football camps, seven-on-seven tournaments. I feel like I've gotten to know the 2023 recruiting class pretty well over this last month, but it has been a blur. Add in the Pac-12 basketball tournament, and uh, yeah, there, there wasn't much of an off season here, but that's fine. We're definitely ready for spring. And I, uh, we start Tuesday, obviously, which is when this podcast is airing. And I asked, or I, I told Max Brown this in the first segment. I said, you know, I don't know how much we're actually going to learn because we only get to see stretching and individual period. What do you think we're going to come out of this spring having gained or learned uh, through all this? I've read your board and seen fans talk about. <laughs> practice being closed and stuff like that. And obviously as a media member, I would prefer open practices. Uh, that's not saying I want I want to see what's going on and make my own judgment and stuff. But, but I also think about how our eyes could trick us in spring as well. And, um, uh, like, uh, storylines like Michael Jackson emerging last year and then the season comes around and he doesn't play or, Britt Allen getting a lot of playing time in the secondary three years ago during spring and you know, not hearing from him throughout the season. And you got guys like Connor Murphy who have a good spring and then just never hear from them during the season as well. Um, so, um, you know, there'll be less of that this year, but obviously you want to learn more about this team and stuff. And spring, obviously, watching practices does help. You know, last year we were able to kind of see where things stood with Jackson Dart and Miller Moss and, um, we got to see a player like Caleb Bullock kind of emerge early on as somebody who has potential. So, um, you know, it, it'll be tough this year not being able to, to learn most of that. I think mainly what, be, what we'll be able to take away, if anything, is just body changes and you know, how, how guys have taken to a new, another uh, weight training regimen, uh, uh, strength and conditioning regimen under Benny Wiley. Um, and stuff like that, but I don't know how much we're going to learn until the spring game, really. 
I have pledged to never write another hype story about the new strength and conditioning staff. <laughs> it's it's it, so many throughout the years. It's a college football tradition. Every new strength and conditioning staff is the greatest thing ever. And once they're inevitably fired, in most cases, they they were the the main reason why the program didn't succeed. So it's it's, it's a tough job. <laughs> Uh, no, it's it's a great point you make about about maybe being fooled in spring, especially when a lot of teams you know hold out guys who are injured and you're not seeing the full team going at it. And um, even even in fall camp last year, I, I know that you and I both wrote features on Joseph Manjack, and he's getting all these he's getting first team reps, and he's been this this uh, surprise star of fall camp and. Then he barely played and, of course, transferred after the season. You mentioned Michael Jackson III, who was one of the – undoubtedly one of the stars of last spring. Um, so good point, good point. But uh, now we're left to the the alternative, which is parsing comments from coaches and players when everything is at uh, peak optimism and hype and trying to determine what's real, what's not. I, I'm reminded of the, the COVID season in 20. 20 when we were doing everything over zoom and we had no access at all and all we could do was read into the comments and i had convinced myself that tyler lando to was going to unlock ea poly ea natote and i was just I, I the quotes were so compelling and what they were saying he he was just he was loving the hard coaching and that didn't pan out so i'm gonna have to be very judicious here and what i put stock and what i don't you're always one of the more optimistic ones, um, so I think this is going to be a, a challenge for. Uh, it's going to be a challenge for you this, this spring in this training camp. It's, it's just it's my natural ethos. It's just what I am. So yeah, I'm going to have to really battle myself here. What I'm excited for though is this week we get to actually talk to players for the first time since last season. We've, we had to send in our interview request list for the week today, Monday, and I had a hard time. Uh, confining it because there's so many compelling storylines and I, I couldn't put 30 names on there because there's not enough time to talk to 30 guys. Who are you most intrigued to talk to this week? First things first, I think it'll be Caleb Williams, yeah. obviously just because he's just the major kind of game changer, momentum changer for this program and the headliner. Uh, so obviously learning more about Caleb and his decision to come to USC I think is the first priority, but I also think the running backs are fascinating just because uh, Travis Dye left a stable situation in Oregon to come to uh, a stable role for himself. I think you know, he was going to be one of the main backs there um, to come to USC. And uh, Austin Jones came with the knowledge that Travis Dye was probably going to come. Um, so um, it's not like he left uh, for a starting, like a guaranteed starting spot here at USC. And you have Darwin Barlow as well, who, who flashed in spurts last year. Um, so I think that room and talking to those guys and learning more about that competition will be interesting. I think talking to Mario Williams and seeing how his thought process, where that stood during Caleb Williams' transfer and all that stuff will be interesting to learn about as well. And, you know, talking to the players who've been here um, about Caleb, I think will be interesting as well. Jackson Dart was a very popular guy yeah. in that locker room last year. So just learning more about the chemistry, Caleb trying to build with his team and um, trying to build, build trying to build with his new teammates will be will be interesting interesting to learn about as well. 
Yeah, I was personally stunned last month when my interview request for Caleb was passed over for Good Morning America. And <laughs> I've, I've gotten over it, but uh, I do have a lot of questions for him. <laughs> I'm sure you do. I just, uh, as, as many as Ben Griffiths last year, I imagine. That was one of the all-timers. I, you know, I, I was driving the Ben Griffiths hype train for a couple of years, a few years, however long he was here. It felt like uh, not long enough, if you ask me. But uh, you know, we, it, it all culminated in a in a interview with him mid to late season, and he was the last one that we got that day. And there was like 13 people standing around him, but I knew it was my show, and so I fired off like 12 straight questions to Ben and. It was uh, it was the way it was supposed to work out. It was a good one on one interview with ten other people around for you and for you and Ben. But uh, another guy you mentioned that I totally agree with is Travis Dye, and just in in reading his Instagram post when he made a decision, he talked about you know starting a family with his fiance and then wanting to get closer to Southern California or back to Southern California, and it just. Uh, the intriguing story there is that he he was factoring in more than what most transfers are considering when they're most guys are looking at depth charts and uh and, and coaching staff and playing time and this and that and and he was looking at uh, i'm starting a family i want to be back in southern california i'll also play football for usc so uh yeah it should be a really fun week talking to those guys um in the first segment with max at the very end, I had the brilliant idea to ask him the eight questions that we ran in our roundtable Monday. And you have been a previous contributor to the roundtable, so you know the concept. Uh, I want to start with that with you and go through those eight, and we'll just take it whichever way the tentacles uh, from the answers go. As I know from our, our regular uh, off-air discussions about the team, we'll have some disagreements and, and some co- contrasting perspectives, which is good. The first one, uh, it, it kind of overlaps with where we started, but I'll ask it anyway in case there's any uh, anything else that comes to mind for you. Is is what do you hope to learn? You talked about Caleb and everything else. Is, is there anything else that you hope to get out of the spring? Yeah, I just think you know, kind of touching on what I said with Caleb a little bit a little bit ago is the, the chemistry building aspect. Not just with Caleb, but this team, uh, thirty five guys from last year are already gone. I think, and uh, 13 new guys, 13 new players are in. There's a new coaching staff. Um, Dante Williams is the only one back. There's a lot of new staffers as well. Um, so just seeing how this program builds chemistry over over the next six weeks, I think, will be pretty fascinating to watch. Uh, I think I don't think USC is alone in this. Uh, it's the first year of that new one-time transfer rule. Uh, so there's schools across the country dealing with this, but I don't, I don't think most of those schools utilize the portal as heavily as USC did in terms of bringing in new players and kind of shuffling other players along. Um, so I, I think the chemistry building aspects can be pretty fascinating. That's what I want to learn more about uh, this spring. Yeah, I wonder how much we can end up concluding because a lot's been made about it's, it's it's such an overused word in college football these days, but culture and about how the culture has to change and, and they're going to set a new culture and you talk to recruits and they go, oh yeah, you can just see how different the culture is. And no one can f- 
fully define what that means, but you could definitely tell whatever it means was lacking last year. And I'll, I'll be curious to see if there's any just vibe that we get by the end of spring where we can see something that's that's different uh, or, or at least sounds or looks or feels different. So, yes, I, I agree with you on that. Number two on the list is what is the under-the-radar storyline that is not getting enough buzz leading into spring ball? Oh, this is a tough one. <laughs> um, under the radar, I just, you know, when you're around it every day, you feel like you pay attention to everything, so it's tough for me to come up with an under-the-radar one. But I, I think I want to see who really develops into the go-to guy at receiver. Because I, yes. <laughs> I know a lot of people will be like, you know, this USC can just outscore everyone this year and it'll be fine, just like those Oklahoma teams did under Lincoln Riley. But uh, I think people fail to realize Oklahoma had Marquise Hollywood Brown and C.D. Lamb, and those are two first-round draft picks at receiver. Um, and who knows, maybe Mario Williams develops into a first-round receiver or something, or C.J. Williams comes along and develops into one. But right now, there's no obvious first-round pick at receiver on this team. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think the passing game still has some work to do. Um, I, I've said it before, I think right now, if I had to pick the strength of USC's offense, knowing how the line run blocked last year, Caleb Williams' dynamic that, that he adds as a runner and Travis Dye, I, w- I would pick the strength of this offense right now to be the, the running game. Um, but I want to see if there's a receiver that kind of develops into that number one guy. Um, to kind of take the load off of that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm going to be curious here how many of these we end up with the same answer on. I know you haven't read mine, so this is all organic. Um, I did the receivers too, but for a little bit different reason. I totally agree with your point, though. I just didn't think of that in that context. I just think there's so much competition there, and I'm curious how that shakes out. Because I, I could come up with three or four different depth charts that would make sense to me at this point in time. And it's just about seeing where guys fit. There's so many options for, for the slot, for the inside role. Um, you know, I, I, I think I'm pretty confident that Mario Williams will be a main target. I'm pretty confident that Gary Bryant will be a main target just because I think he, what he does well fits this offense. And um, I, I think he was getting better and better last season. I think that Brendan Rice – is going to be a fixture. Those are my picks for the top three, but I don't know what to expect from Terrell Bynum. I don't know if uh, C.J. Williams, who was about as polished of a high school receiver prospect as you'll find in the country, is going to get a chance to come in and make an immediate impact. On, on a team that didn't have so much depth there, I think C.J. Williams is definitely playing this year somewhere. Uh, but here, does he play? I don't know. Is Taj Washington, who was basically the number one target last year, is he even in the picture now? Because – He's been kind of recruited over, it seems like, and and that'll be up for him, up to him to prove that statement wrong. But uh, there's just so many questions in that regard for me. Do we do we ever see any of the freshmen from last year? Michael Jackson the third, Kyron Ware Hudson. Do, do they have a role on this team moving forward? So I, I went with the same direction, a little different nuance, but I think we're on the same page so far. Yeah, I think so. I think this is where not being able to see practice will hurt us as reporters just because like we would know where cj stood if we were able to watch him in practice and like like we like we were able to tell early on like drake london's really good because 
you know, he was practicing really well that training camp. Um, but now there will be mystery um, when it comes to that this spring. But uh, I'm sure we'll learn more in the spring game and seeing how things go. And it's going to be interesting to kind of uh, track how everything shakes out with the receivers. And, and like you said, I'm, I'm really interested in seeing how Gary and Taj fit into this this rotation now and you know where things fall with them on the depth chart and of course i forgot to mention my guy kyle ford who we've talked plenty about who i i will uh, never sell my stock on because i just believe that if he were ever given the chance he would be a major contributor i'm not confident he'll be given that chance here but i want to see what happens um i will not i will not let you rebut me on that we'll just leave it be and i will move <laughs> move right along um uh, ideal offense would have about would be running about 115 plays a game for uh, for all the players when you get the ball. <laughs> That's a good way to do it. That's a good way to do it. Hurry up. Uh, number three. Number three, what is uh, the biggest question that this team needs to answer over these next five weeks? Uh, I think the, the biggest one, obviously, is the deep at the front and how things shake out there. And if and I, I think... I think the coaches are going to use this opportunity this spring to evaluate what they actually have there. Um, they obviously, Grinch, Riley, and Dennis Simmons, they saw you know, one or two practices maybe last December or right after Lincoln got hired. Um, so That was enough. <laughs> yeah, that was enough to uh, you know, overturn almost half the roster, but uh, I think they're still in the learning mode and the evaluation mode when it comes to, um, you know, what, what they actually have. I, I think Grinch, Grinch is as well. I, I talked to him for a story that's come out later this week and just, um, you know, he, he, will, uh, he wants to see where everything is size and speed wise. And, and I think last year, one of the more sobering games or images or moments from last season was just like, how slow UCLA made USC look in that game and just how not physical they made them look and they just did everything they wanted offensively against that defense. Um, so I, I think that's going to be a major aspect in terms of e- evaluating what USC has with this front and you know if it can be any better than last year and what they actually have with a guy like Rajon Davis, Shane Lee, Romello High. Corey Foreman, whereas Brandon Peely at recovery wise and things like that. So I, I think that'll be the biggest question. Yeah, you know, I, I had trouble even boiling it down. To me, it's just the whole defense because it's hard to say that any of those levels of the defense is, is any more set or certain than the, the other ones. I mean, it, in the backfield, the secondary, you have you're going to have five new starters unless you count Kalen Bullock as a returning starter, but he played three different positions last year. So he's, he didn't really lock in anywhere in particular and they're changing over all those spots. Uh, the defensive line, as you mentioned, most definitely, um, you know, is, is Brandon Peely the answer? We thought he might've been last year before he got hurt. Uh, what is Earl Barquette, Barquette, Barquet? We'll, we'll, you know, we'll find that out too. I, I pronounce it. Um, so yeah, questions all over, but I settled on linebacker ultimately, just cause I think it's, it's just been so underwhelming. It would mean such a difference to this defense if they were able to fix that. And if Shane Lee could possibly be that guy, 
if, if Rajon Davis gets a chance to be a guy. So I went with linebacker, and if, if those two guys can be the peak of what I think they're capable of, then that could be altering for the whole defense. Yeah, no, for sure. I think you know, talking to people on the program, they they stress the kind of significance of adding Shane Lee and Armello Height. Uh, I think they want some more bodies there just because depth is so little, particularly at that edge rusher, outside linebacker spot. I know they moved some guys you know, to there, like Elijah Winston and uh, Solomon. Um, so it's going to be interesting to watch. I think I think what we see this spring isn't going to be what they enter the season with. I think they're going to try to add more after. Um so we'll learn more about the evaluations probably after spring, not by their words, but by their actions in the transfer portal. Yeah, that's a point that needs to be reiterated for everybody. There was a massive wave of transfers, you know, lost with 18, 19 guys to the portal, brought in 13. Uh, but that was definitely not the end. Lincoln Riley said as much at signing day, and they have a handful of scholarship spots open right now, and there will be more after spring because that's when guys find out, hey, I'm not really in the plans here. I'm going to go somewhere else. And that both works for, or not for or against, but it both will be a cause for people leaving USC and be a cause for USC finding players that aren't happy with their standing elsewhere, go in the portal and maybe fit a need that USC has more uh, prominently here. So uh, I agree with you totally. The roster will keep changing. Be fascinated to see where that final number ends up and if it's like historically significant turnover in college football history. Because <clears throat> I think counting early draft entrance and guys whose eligibility was exhausted and transfer portal guys and guys who are just not on the team anymore. I think they're already at 35. So, um, and we know there's players in the secondary on the offensive line and on the defensive line who probably won't be back um, after spring who have been recruited over and have no clear path to playing time. So that 35 number is only going to grow. Yep. Yep. Uh, all right, number four on the roundtable countdown. What newcomer do you find most intriguing? And as a reminder for the listeners, there are only two freshman early enrollees, Damani Jackson uh, coming off knee surgery, I would assume is going to be limited, if, if anything, in spring, and C.J. Williams, the receiver. But there are all those transfers. So who from that group is the most intriguing newcomer to you, Antonio? Uh to avoid Caleb Williams, I think it'll be. Right. Yes. I think it'll be Shane Lee. Just just from hearing the coaches, just from hearing Odom and Riley talk about him already, I, I think he's one of the more interesting ones to me because you talked about that culture earlier, and I, I, it seems like they're picking him as one of the guys who's going to help lead that culture shift on the field. Um, just with the experience he has at Alabama and the way they've already talked about his leadership already. Um, I, I'm really interested in learning more about him. We need to because he's a kind of a curious case. Uh, top 50 national prospect out of high school, comes into Alabama, immediately becomes a starter uh, after Dylan Moses is injured in the preseason, is second on the team that year, 86 tackles, is like a, a main cog in that defense on an 11-2 Alabama team, and then has nine total tackles the next two years. Uh, there was a sports hernia injury in there that kept him out for half of that 2020 season. Um, there maybe there are more injuries. I don't know. But what do you make of of just kind of his career path to this point where 
he was an immediate uh, contributor backing up his recruiting profile and all of a sudden disappeared at Alabama. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's more the case Alabama's going to always bring in guys in that position, especially a linebacker, who are going to be able to play. And it's not like you're sitting behind some no-names. It's Henry Toto-Oto, who was starting at one of the inside linebacker spots last year. It's not a case. I think the more concerning thing is the health. And is that going to be okay? Um, and, you know, knocking some of the rust off because he hasn't played much in a while. Um, I, I think that's a different concern than, say, someone like Ishmael Sopcher who came in last year and this guy's never played and there's questions about his work ethic and things like that. It, it, it's not the same It's not the same concern. It's a different thing. You've seen totally Chandler produce. Yeah. Um, so I think health is more of a concern than, than anything else. Yep, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. No, I, I too am excited by Shane Lee, intrigued by him, I guess I should say, and uh, that's a great answer there. I went with Brendan Rice. I've just really kind of latched on to, to him out of this group and a guy that I think is going to be a totally different player than what he's been able to be at this point. Obviously, he played in one of the worst passing offenses in all of college football last year especially. Wasn't a lot of passing highlights for Colorado, but he has a nice little a nice little reel. And he just seems to have everything you want. He has size, he has good speed, he seems to have sure hands, he's he, he can win contested catches, uh, he seems to have just good ball awareness and body positioning and everything. Just everything you like in a receiver and, and I'm totally uh, separating out the whole name, last name thing from this and him being Jerry Rice's son. That, that's not even in the equation for why I put him on this list. I just think he could emerge as the first or second, uh, I'll say a top two option in this passing offense. Yeah, and I think he brings a different element. You know, talking to people in the program last year, when, when Drake London went down, they were just you know, kind of emphasizing the lack of length and size. They had a receiver. Because other than that, it was more body types you see, like Gary Bryant, Taj Washington, um, smaller guys. There was no real size there. Uh, Brennan Rice isn't super tall, but I mean, 6'2", 6'3", is still, you know, bigger than what USC has most other spots, at most other spots in the receiver room. So I think he has a different element and a different kind of skill set than what they already have. Exactly. All right, number five, this is a good one. This, is, this could go a number of different ways. Who has the most to prove to this new coaching staff? Uh, I think that's Corey Foreman, yeah. um, the former number one player in the country. And it's kind of time, you know, it's a new staff. It's, it's a second different staff um, that he's had now. And I know there seemed to be a disconnect with him and the previous defensive staff last year. And, I don't think there could be many excuses made for him this year. You're working with Sean Nua, who developed David Ajabu, Ajabo at Michigan and, and Aiden Hutchinson. Like, this guy has proven he's a talented developer of football players. And uh, so I think the kind of, the onus is on Corey to, to produce this year and play like the number one player he was, you know, in the 2021 recruiting cycle. Um it's, we've seen players like this before, or not like Corey, I mean, but like we've seen players before who, you know, you give them the benefit of the doubt because maybe they just had a disagreement with one staff or a disconnect with one staff, but if they don't produce under a second staff, it's kind of on you. Um, so I think it's 
it's on Corey to kind of prove himself this spring. Yep, that was my answer as well. Uh, I will remind you, though, Antonio, this is a Rivals podcast, and he was the number three and then ultimately number four prospect in the class once Quinn Ewers, Ewers reclassified. Yeah, okay. Just, just know where you are, okay? Keep it family friendly. Uh, no, it's it's the absolutely right, it's absolutely the right answer. There are other answers you could go to, but it's the right answer. And you touched on what I wanted to get into was Sean Nua is like the com- total opposite of Vic Soto in terms of personality and uh, tenor and uh, more yeah, more soft spoken, uh, just you know, more warm, inviting. <laughs> Uh, I, I know for a fact that, that Corey and Vic just didn't click last year. And, and Vic is very demanding and maybe not one of great patients if he's not getting what he wants to see. And it's, you know, you, you look at Corey's playing time where he only had one one game with more than 20 snaps and most games were right around 11 or under 10. Um, he just he never earned the trust of, of that staff, of Vic, of, of T.O., and I also don't think that he particularly enjoyed the experience of being coached by them. Uh, I didn't feel he was getting better. So, you know, you highlighted Sean Nua's track record. Uh, you have a different approach, different personality, at least from what we've seen just by talking to him. I don't know. Maybe he gets on the field and he's a total hard ass as well. I, I don't know. But I, I tend to think that it's conducive to Corey to um, have a better season, maybe have that breakout than the way we thought last year. Also, I talked to him about two-thirds of the way through the season last year, and he was actually really candid with me, and he told me that he came into camp, or he, he thought he was physically ready for college football. He, he, had, he had trained all offseason. He had been building up to it. He thought he was where he needed to be, and he got the summer workouts and was throwing up every day uh, after workouts just because of the intensity of it, and, and he realized that he wasn't, he wasn't ready for it. And once you're at that point of the year, it's hard to really, um, you know, make up for whatever you need to do over the offseason. So I'm sure he had a different approach this offseason. And I'm sure that's true for a lot of guys who are used to a certain training regimen and think that they're at peak form and get to college and realize, oh, this is much different. Uh, so for that reason, for the coaching reason, and because I still believe in his potential, I think that he could be an X factor, a breakout player for this team, but he does have the most to prove. Yeah, and remember that Corey, like a bunch of the other guys, didn't have the high school season in 2020. Yeah. Um, um, so, I mean, it makes sense. His body kind of wasn't ready for the college game yet. I and mean, the intensity of those workouts and stuff like that, and he was banged up a lot um, early on as well, if I remember correctly, yep. especially in training camp. So um, maybe a, a year in college now will help kind of um, will help kind of harden him and strengthen him uh, to what he needs to do this year. Yeah, and, and I didn't mention that at all as a criticism. I, in fact, I really appreciated his candor and, and kind of acknowledging that, and it, it kind of helped me understand his season, and I, I think it it is understandable. So definitely not a criticism. I think that's something he, he needs to have taken the lesson from and, and applied. So we'll see what happens. Number six, what position battle is most compelling this spring to you? Uh, I think corner um, and seeing how things unfold over there just because I feel like uh, the, the second corner spot, I think Makai Blackman's probably like a front runner to start just because he has more experience than everyone else. But the second corner spot, in my mind, I think it's pretty wide open. 
I want to be surprised by like two or three different options uh, who end up starting. Um, so uh, I'm intrigued to see how things go there and if a Prophet Brown or Joshua Jackson or Latrell McCutcheon or if Damani Jackson when he's healthy in training camp ends up grabbing it. And so it's it's interesting to see just because I feel like there's still a lot more for, for us to learn about those guys as well. It's not like, I, I think a couple of years ago when it was Isaac Taylor Stewart, I think we had a pretty good idea of who and what he was. This year, I feel like we're still learning about these guys. Yep, that was my answer again. We are on the same page now. Three and a half out of five. Three and a half out of five. Very, very interesting. Let me ask you this. I, I just wrote about the secondary earlier this morning. And while I mentioned that they're they are replacing five starters uh, technically. And, and Dante Williams, of course, as he would always say that, you know, everything is open. There's no favorites. I, I think that three of those spots are probably locked in. Uh, and I agree with you on Makai Blackman. I think, you know, he came here as a sixth year senior. Uh, obviously, uh, I think he expects to start and play. I'm sure I'm not saying there was a guarantee to him, but I think it was mutually understood that we need experience. And uh, this is what we're looking at. And then safety, I think that Kalen Bullock is obviously a starter. I mean, if, if he's not a starter, then uh, there's many questions to raise. This, he was like the most talented player on, on the whole defense last year. So I think he's your starting free safety. And then I, I think Xavier Alford has to be the favorite at strong safety there, especially with Chris Thompson Jr. being moved to linebacker. I don't know who else would even push Xavier Alford for that job. And remember, he closed the season really strong last year. He had three interceptions in the span of two games he played really well down the stretch do you agree with that take yeah i think like you said it's kaylin and Xavier at safety and uh Mikhail blackman probably at corner and then i think everyone else is kind of up for grabs i, I think we know who the competition will be between at nickel with max and jalen yeah um but i think that's going to be an, an open competition throughout the spring and throughout fall I'd probably lean max right now, but obviously that'll be that'll unfold over several weeks and months. But I agree with you that right now I think there's a good idea about three. Max Williams is interesting. He was a a favorite of the previous coaching staff. They they came in and and assessed what they had and and felt that they were maybe a little behind on talent from where they needed to be. But Max was the was one of the guys they felt really good about. And if he hadn't gotten hurt before last season, the second torn ACL, I think he would have eventually taken a larger share of that job from Greg Johnson. Uh, so he's my pick to start as well. But Jalen Smith, uh, they were super high on him, the previous staff, the recruiting department, and, and he got playing time uh, last year. He, got, he made some splash plays. He was inconsistent, but he also flashed his uh, big play potential. So I wouldn't be surprised – but the timeshare there, but again, these are all fresh evaluations. So whatever the previous staff thought or anyone else thought is kind of out the window. And it's all about making new impressions for these guys. But, but Max is, is so driven. I mean, just look at his rehab and all the videos he was posting like four, th- three months, four months out from ACL surgery, running full speed and everything. So I would put my money on him for now. And that corner, I gave Domani Jackson the edge just because I, I think that, there was kind of a sense in his recruitment that wherever he went, he was going to come in as a likely starter. I'm not, again, not saying there's any guarantee given there, but if he's healthy, I don't see how he's behind anybody. Latrell McCutcheon is interesting because obviously he was a 
top prospect too, not as highly rated as Damani, but recruited by the Oklahoma staff uh, and knows the system a little bit. But he didn't play much last year, so he's really unproven. Uh, Josh Jackson Jr. I liked last year when we saw him. So if he's healthy, I just wouldn't discount him entirely. And then Prophet Brown and Sierra Wright were so raw last year, I don't know what to expect of them. And they have to make a new impression on the new staff. I don't know what Damani's going to do this spring, but if we're talking about season opener, I'm going to give the slightest of edges to Domani Jackson, but would not be surprised if it was other guys, like you said. Yeah, and I think it could be a situation where, like I'm thinking back to Elijah Griffin's freshman year, to where and he was a five-star guy too coming in, and he didn't. I don't think he started right away, but by the end of the year, he was you know, the third corner and playing a lot. Um, obviously, Damani someone, we don't know what his health, you know, recovery level will be like throughout the spring. Um, so maybe that'll set him back a bit. But I, I, would, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's in the rotation as a number two or three corner uh, by the end of the year. Yeah, and before I move on, in case anyone thinks I'm overlooking him, uh, Zion Branch, the four-star safety, is not getting here until the summer, so he's not part of the spring conversation. But certainly a guy who's talented enough to uh, maybe push for some playing time as a freshman. We'll see on that. Number seven, Antonio, what position group gives you the most confidence at this point? This one's tough. I think I'd go with either quarterback or running back. Uh, I think – quarterback just because of the singular talent of Caleb Williams is probably where I land and then you have a backup um, who has a pretty a pretty good recruiting pedigree in Miller Moss um, but I could also make an argument for running backs just because there's more depth a little more depth there and they're adding a guy like really Brown but right now I think I'll go with Caleb Williams and Miller Moss at quarterback um, just because we know the talent that's there with Caleb and um you know, just how elite he has the potential to be. Yeah, I, I get the answer. Uh, I, I almost thought we were going to be on the same page again. I thought you were seeing the ball clearly coming off the bat. <laughs> I went with running backs. Uh, but uh, And the reason I didn't go with quarterback is because of the depth right now. Uh, a, uh, I'm a, I'm a Miller-Moss believer, but we haven't really seen anything. So if Caleb were to go down, they're going to someone who has a very minimal experience. And then behind him, right now, there's nobody. And I know Mo Hassan is hopeful of returning from Achilles injury by camp, but I don't know if that's realistic. I don't, I'm don't. i not a doctor. Uh, so I'm a little concerned by the depth overall. But if you are just looking at the, at the top of it, sure, that's a fine answer with Caleb. I chose running backs because I, I'm just um, – I, I think those three top guys are all really intriguing. And I, I really – think that people may be writing Darwin Barlow off because he wasn't one of the guys that was brought in by the staff, but I wouldn't. In fact, I'm going to have confidence that he ends up with a decent role this year. Um, I think Travis Dye probably gets the, the, the main, the number one role, but he's not going to have the volume that he had at Oregon where they just didn't have much of a passing attack and had to really rely on checking it down to him a lot and, uh, they had injuries last year, and just it all conspired to him to be this super high-volume guy. I don't see that happening here. And Austin Jones really struggled last year. He had a career-low 3.5 yards per carry. He hasn't shown at any point in his Stanford career what I think Darwin Barlow has showed limited 
effort. That's maybe not fair, but I'm a believer in Barlow, and I think that having those three guys you can all talk about that way is very, very comforting for the offense, especially if, like we said earlier, they may have to lean on that run game more heavily. Uh, and then Relique Brown's the wild card. And if, if, if we if we throw him into that running back group, then that only strengthens my answer. He's going to start out working in the slot, but he is, by definition, uh, an all-purpose back, a running back. So, yeah, factor him in there. And I guarantee you that Lincoln Riley has already like crafted like 10 plays specifically for him for this year. He's, he's going to be a factor when he gets here in August and uh, an immediate weapon. So that was my answer. And I could have also said the receivers because I've already talked about that, but uh, that's where I went. Okay, final question. The end of the road. Your last chance to get it right. <laughs> what uh, position are you most concerned about? And we may have already touched on that, but I'll just let you answer. Yeah, linebacker. Yep. Boom. You went on top, first of all. Let's just give you a prize. I think you got like five and a half out of out of seven of the whatever. Very good showing. Very good showing. All right. The floor is yours. Yeah, I think it's linebacker just because there's so many questions there and it's a lot of unproven talent. Or I mean, everybody has a question mark pretty much. You, I feel like a team's line, you can say team's line too maybe, but you know what you're going to get with Thule. And, um, you know, he's, he's proven now. Um, linebacker, I think pretty much everyone has a question. What are you going to get with Mel Hyde, who didn't play a ton at Auburn? Uh, can Shane Lee stay healthy? What does USC have in Rajon Davis? Uh, obviously, Raylan Goforth hasn't made a ton of play. Uh, he's started a lot, but he hasn't been a true difference maker or game changer. Um, so there's just a lot of questions about each guy there. Um, and it's been kind of the weak spot on the defense for for years now. And um, the, the solutions don't seem very obvious, really. Um, or, or apparent just looking at at the players on the roster. So it'll be – I think Shane Lee will help, but we'll see how much how much of an impact that actually makes. And if somebody like Ray John Davis can develop, then that'll be helpful. Um, but it's still a long way to go before we kind of declare that. Yeah, so that was my answer too. And as I wrote in my position previews, one of the great mysteries of the 2021 USC football season – of which there were many, but I would advise no one to spend the time studying, um, is why the staff at no point ever just said, let's just see what Rajon Davis can do. Our defense is imploding before us. Every week we would ask Todd Orlando about Rajon getting involved, and he would go, yeah, we, we want to get him involved. We want to give him some opportunities. And it would never happen. And the linebacker play wasn't good, and he's a top recruit. And I don't even at a certain point I don't even care what the practice results are. He's an instinctual player. Why he never got any opportunity? Eleven defensive snaps all season while burning his red shirt is just uh, just absurd. It's, uh, it's like week like what thirty six now for Rajon, so I think uh, it may be time to <laughs> for, for us to. To see what he has. <laughs> right. Right. Well said. But uh, hey, great stuff, Antonio. We will uh, see you out there on the practice field and we will have you on before too long again because the subscribers always demand more. Once we give them a little taste, they ask for more. So we'll have you back on soon. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it, man. 
Great show. Great show. Great guest. Thank you to Max Brown. Thank you to Antonio Morales. And thank you to everyone who is listening to this podcast. Great way to kick off USC spring football. I will be out there on the field with uh, my, my team, Jeff McCullough, Taj Warkanikar, and we will have a deluge of content coming for you at trojansports.com. Reminder, if you are not subscribed, what are you waiting for? Now's the time. Get 50% off an annual subscription with the promo code RileyERA. Riley era this is the start of the Lincoln Riley era. Use that promo code, get half off for the next year, and join us at trojansports.com. We'd love to have you. We'll see you on there. We'll see you back on the podcast. Much, much more to come. <laughs>